Hello and welcome back to How's the Water, our intermittent our intermittent <laughs> podcast about books, stories, and the people who write them. My name is Sienna, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Gary. Intermittent co-host. My very not intermittent co-host. Continual co-host. Continual co-host. <laughs> yeah. How's it going? It's, uh, it's going okay. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. We're on break from work, so we haven't been working. Yep, that's true. Yeah, it's it's Christmas as we're recording this, or so Christmas has just gone. Mm-hmm. Have you had a nice festive period? Yeah, yeah, really, really have. It's been uh, nice to spend some time with family, talk to family on the phone as well. Mm-hmm. Have you been enjoying your Christmas holidays? Yes, yeah, similar really. Yeah, spending some time with some family. I've been away, but I'm uh, I'm back home now. Been ready to do this. Yeah, awesome. Will you tell our lovely listeners what book we're doing for this hey, episode? We- we picked a nice, easy read for this one. We're going to be doing Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. Maybe, do you hate me for suggesting this book? I don't know. I don't hate you, but it. I really didn't know what I was agreeing to when I said yes to doing this yeah. book. I have to say. No. Well, how did you first hear about this book and James Joyce? Because I hadn't read any Joyce before we we did this and at, yes we actually did read it yeah we made it for all the anyone way who is m- like you didn't really read it we so did and you know we'll talk about our impressions and everything but i hadn't read any joyce before this so i'd heard of finnegan's wake mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily on my radar or anything and i never dreamed that it would be something i'd read ever in life i think so can you tell us about your experiences yeah, so mainly I was quite interested in Samuel Beckett when I was younger, and I got quite interested in him probably around the age of about 16, 17, something like that, because I was I studied it at college. And I remember talking about it with a friend at the time, and he said, oh, it sounds a bit like uh, Ulysses by James Joyce. And I'd never heard of Ulysses or James Joyce, or maybe a little bit through reading about Beckett, Mm -hmm. um, because they were very closely connected at one part time in Paris, obviously, both from Ireland and both expats and stuff Mm. in in Europe. And he talked a little bit about Ulysses. And then I don't think I thought much more of it then. But when I went to university a couple of years later, I did a module on modernism. And for that, we had to read Ulysses and maybe Portrait of an Artist as well. And possibly in another module, I had to read The Dead, which is um, a short story in Dubliners. And I think I read all of Dubliners Mm. around that time as well. Mm -hmm. So I read most of Joyce's work with the exception of Finnegan's Wake around that time. Okay. I think. And then uh, I'd heard of Finnegan's Wake and how impenetrable it was, obviously, through reading about it. And I'd always intended to to come back and read it at some point. And um, I think the idea of reading it and then recording a podcast about it appealed to me a lot because it, I don't know, it gives you a purpose for reading it, which I think helped a lot, helped me get through it on those cold mornings when I was reading it. Yeah. What about you? I mean, you you must have been aware of Joyce. I mean, I think you're kind of underplaying how much you knew. <laughs> I think like, oh, I never heard of him before you brought it, but I think you you had. Yeah, it was an. But he was an author 
we didn't really talk about at school and I don't remember getting into him when I was at uni, but I had read excerpts or different chapters from Ulysses yeah. before, but I've just never read the entire thing. I think I actually still have it on my um, Kindle because I think it's either free or very cheap to get yeah. on Kindle. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think last year or maybe a couple of years ago now, I had thought like, oh, I'll read Ulysses from, you know, starting from the beginning. And then maybe the pandemic happened and I uh-huh. didn't have the time anymore. So yeah. that was really the extent of my experience with James Joyce. And I didn't, I really just had no idea about the guy himself uh-huh. necessarily. So I, all I knew is that he's an Irish he was an Irish writer and that's, that's more or less it. I didn't really have any concept of his style, his approach. Yeah. Aside from different parts of, oh, Ulysses is all written in a lot of different literary styles and, and has a lot of different themes in it. And it's like this experimental kind of thing and oh, that's pretty neat. But I never, I didn't really give a lot of thought to that Yeah, in the way that you probably did when you were at uni learning about it and reading all his, all his stuff. Yeah. So it's really ridiculous. I think that Finnegan's Wake is the first one that I've actually read like, in totality because it's <laughs> the, the craziest undertaking, I think of a book that a lot of people can, can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is, it is a strange way to begin yeah. um, with, with him and it, I hope it hasn't put you off reading anymore because his style evolved or devolved depending on how you look at it over the course of the writing. So Finnegan's mm-hmm. Wake is by far the most impenetrable of his books and probably the most impenetrable book I've ever read. I think, I mean, I, I to be honest with you, I, I, when I was reading it, I had no idea what was going on from mm-hmm. page to page. So I just tried to kind of enjoy the language when I could. How about you? Did you get much grasp of plot or characters? No, that's or, the approach yeah. that I took as well. There just comes a point where you think like, okay, if I read a sentence and don't understand and I try to dissect it and analyze it and look up every word I don't know. I, uh-huh. I'm. It would take me forever to read this book. I just give up. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. So, and it's the kind of book where even when you do understand a sentence that he writes, it will. It could just have nothing to do with the sentence before it. Yeah. So you can read a paragraph that's completely like grammatically makes sense, but you're just like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. That is, I think, if you're the kind of person who needs something that's a, you know, with more order and control and to be in control and to know what's going on, then this mm-hmm. isn't the book for you. This was a bit of an exercise in letting go, I think, and just saying, yeah. okay, I'm never, I'm not going to understand if, the things I do understand. Cool for me, but otherwise, it's Im- important just to enjoy what he's done. And enjoy the fact that he's playing around. And if you can catch a rhyme that he throws in or certain patterns that he's doing with the vocabulary and with the words that he chooses, which he does very well, yeah. then then that's just those little things that you can just take enjoyment in throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very well written, even if it looks like a lot of gibberish. He knew what he was doing. And you can tell that he's someone who yeah. knew how to write and... It had very original ideas. Yeah, that's certainly true. 
I'm really looking forward to talking about it a little bit more with you. I have a few things to sort of say and to, and to ask, but before we do that, shall we get into his biography? Oh, yes. Yes, please do. Would you like to start? Okay, yes. Um, so normally with a biography, what we do is read up until the point or talk about up until the point where the book we are doing the episode on was published or written. But as Finnegan's Wake came out right at the end of Joyce's life, we're basically just going to do the whole bio and then we'll talk about the book. Mm -hmm. All right. So here we go. James Joyce was born in 1882 in Dublin, uh, the city in which he also grew up and came to greatly inform all of his work. His father was talented but rootless and drifted down the social scale, dragging his family from home to home, each one more and more dilapidated than the last. Um, Joyce, in terms of education, uh, it was entirely Catholic and he studied modern languages at University College Dublin. However, during his adolescence, Joyce began to rebel against his Catholic upbringing and engage in a literary mission that would bring him to rebellion and exile from his own country. He refused to contribute to any of the nationalist activities that his classmates at the time were indulging in. And instead, to some extent, he spent time learning Norwegian just so he could write a fan letter to Henrik Ibsen. And by 1902, he had committed himself to a life as a writer. He felt he could only do this by exiling himself from Dublin in order to maintain his integrity and distance from its sentimentalities and politics, etc. And he also wanted to maintain an objective kind of perspective on Dublin life mm. as he planned to depict this. Uh, and in order to, to do this, he needed to go abroad. After he graduated, Joyce left Paris, uh, but he returned to Dublin on learning about his mum's uh, fatal illness. So during that period, he worked there for a short period as a school teacher, but then left Ireland forever in 1904 to teach English like the best people do yeah in, <laughs> in trieste and then zurich i had no idea he was a, a tefl teacher basically oh fun. yes yeah he was yeah yeah sweet there's still a yeah. hope, hope for us to become great writers yeah imagine imagine being in one of joyce's lessons i don't know what kind of method methodological approach he took to his teaching i don't know that'd be so uh, dope <laughs> oh, how cool yeah. would that be yeah, you're covering for James Joyce today. In 1920, he moved to Paris, where he stayed for 20 years. Um, he left there owing to the war in 1940, dying in Zurich a few weeks later. With him for much of his life in exile, or all of his life in exile, in fact, was Nora Barnacle, a girl from Galway who had no interest in literature. But the two were devoted companions and married in 1931. Barnacle. Okay. Nora Barnacle. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's a great name, isn't it? She was probably really pretty. Uh, I think I, so, a lot it? of really pretty girls have really ugly last names. Do they? Never, yeah. You'll see that everywhere now. Okay. So pretty girls with ugly names. I think Nora Barnacle is a fine name. <laughs> okay. Uh, there is a film about her. Have, have you seen the film mm -mm. about her life with Joyce starring Ewan McGregor oh. as, James, as James Joyce? Yeah. Fun. I saw that at the cinema, in fact, when it came out. 
Strangely, Joyce's self-imposed exile from Dublin and from Ireland allowed him to write about it, even though his books were composed largely in Zurich, Trieste, and Paris. Um, Joyce only ever wrote about Dublin. However, he wrote in such a way that his microscopic accounts of people there are intended to encompass the totality of human life. This writing began with a set of stories depicting aspects of Dublin life. These were published as Dubliners. The most famous case of these is the last story entitled The Dead, which you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. A portrait of the artist a semi-autobiographical account of Joyce's artistic awakening was published in 1916. This novel reworked from its much longer first drafts. Stephen Hero, eventually published in 1944, also introduced us to Stephen Dedalus. Yep. Stephen reappears in Joyce's most famous work and his masterpiece, Ulysses, um, which was published in 1922, though its problems with censors would continue for the next decade. There isn't enough space or time here to go into this book in great depth, considering the book we're going to talk about now, which you know what that is. However, for many, Ulysses is the greatest work of literature of the 20th century. It's modeled on Homer's Odyssey, and it depicts one day in Dublin, June 16th, 1904. And that is the day of Joyce's first romantic encounter with Nora Barnacle. Yeah. Mm. That makes me want to read it, knowing that kind of story. Yeah. I knew it was after the Odyssey, but I, I didn't know about that other detail there. It being the day that him and Nora got it on. Is that what uh, happened? I, I don't I'm know. Nice. I, I believe so. I don't know if it was their first date or a bit more than that. A but bit yeah, more. He was certainly. a bit gross and dirty, so maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he a bit of a promiscuous, dirty old man? Well, where, where I don't know. Where, where have you heard that? I don't know. That's just the feeling I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the energy coming off his the book, <laughs> Finnegan's Wake, is a little bit sleazy. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of his writing's quite sexualized. I think there's bits of uh, Ulysses that are quite sort of sexual, certainly towards the end. Yeah. Mm. Joyce spent 14 years writing his final novel and today's work, Finnegan's Wake, which was published in 1939. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he moved away from Paris just as the war was coming to France, I think. Or uh -huh. it was obvious that was going to happen. And then he went to Zurich and then he died a few weeks later. And I believe he's, he's buried in Zurich. I think. Mm. Cool. So shall we talk a little bit more about Finnegan's Wake? Yeah. So we're going to get into the, I'm doing air quotes, plot mm -hmm. of Finnegan's Wake. There's a lot of things to be said. We've talked about a few of our impressions before. One of the things we touched upon quite a lot in the, in the introduction was the language of the novel. So it's obviously written in English, but it's not. English as we know it. Would that be a fair comment, do you think? Yes. Um, yeah. It looks like he's made up a lot of words, combined a lot of words that aren't normally combined, and he spells normal words in very yes. yeah. Yeah. unconventional ways, unconventional spellings of things to where you have to, you look at it and you go, is that what he means to say? Yeah. So that can be confusing. And he also, yeah. because he he knew several other languages, he'll throw in words 
from different languages as well. Yeah. Yeah. Also sometimes combined with other words in those languages and also sometimes spelled unconventionally for the language, which makes it doubly hard. Yeah. To understand. I mean, I think it might help people because maybe there's a few people listening to this that, that aren't familiar with the book or familiar with Joyce. Maybe if I read from the first page of the book, that might give people an idea about what we're talking about. Oh, yes. I have some, at some point, there are some things I'd like to read as well to okay. illustrate. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to hear you do that. Right. I'll do this. I'm going to just read the first sort of two and a half paragraphs or so. This is how Finnegan's Wake begins. River Run, past Eve and Adams, from Swerve of Shore to Bend of Bay, brings us by a commodious ficus of recirculation back to Howarth Castle and environs. Sir Tristan Villa d'Amours, fro over the short sea, hath passant corps re-arrived from North America, on this side the scraggy isthmus of Europe Minor, to weldafite his peninsulate war, nor had Topsoyer's rocks by the stream Oconi exaggerated themselves to Lawrence County's Gorgias while they went doubling their mumper all the time. Nor a voice from a fire bellows mish mish to tof tof thought Pietric. Not yet, though Venus soon after had a kidscad but ended a blank old Isaac. Not yet, though all's fair in Venese was so is Sithor's wrath with twone, Nath and Joe. Rut a peck of Pars malt at Jehem or Shen brewed by Arclight and Rory End to the Regginbrow was to be seen ringsome on the Aquaface. The fall, Baba Ba Dal Haragath Tak Ameran Ron Con Bron Tonoren Ton Ton Trova Hoanawang Scowan Tohu Hu Hu Ho Dehen Thurnuk of a once wall straight old par is retailed early in bed and later on live down through all Christian ministry. Okay. So there's a little flavor of mm. one of the 620 odd pages that make up this book. And it's basically that the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Except yeah. you imagine someone in an Irish accent reading it to you. Yes. Like, I didn't want, I can't do an Irish accent without okay. being very, very offensive. But yeah, it's like that all the way through. So you sort of feel a bit like, okay, I'm getting this now. I know where we are. No, I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm still lost. And then on that page as well, there's one of the numerous, I think it's a hundred letter words that go uh-huh. through the book. So that bit that I read towards the end, that bit, that's all one word, which I, I know I've no idea what that's supposed to be, to be uh-huh. honest with you. And it just, yeah, it goes on and on like that. So, yeah, <laughs> that's why it's so sort of difficult, really, to talk about any plot or any. It's just very, it's impossible to kind of get a foothold in the novel. Do you think there's any point to reading a book like this beyond like recording a an entertaining episode of a podcast series about it? Well, there, it's it is art. Yeah, it's something to be appreciated. And at the end of the day, it's a very interesting experience to have. And I think you mentioned something about a friend of yours who talked about that reading something, reading it as an experience. Oh, right. No, he didn't say that. What he said, I told him, uh, as we've talked about, it's Christmas now. I sent him like a happy Christmas message and he's a fan of Joyce. And I mentioned that I'd read it and his message was something like, oh, 
if I'd have read it when I was a younger, I'd have heard like the book out and the guides and stuff and really been pouring over every, mm. every page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that to me isn't really reading it as an experience. That's really trying to delve into, into the, the book and what's going on. And I isn't, his approach is not what I did. I just kind of read it almost to skate along the surface of the language, really, without going too far into what's actually going on. So that's what I wanted to say there, really, that I'm not sure I read it in the most intelligent way or the most analytical way. I just kind of read it to experience the language and and have the experience of reading it as well. Yeah, yeah. There are people who've devoted their um, academic lives to like deciphering this book. Yes. Chapter by chapter. And so it's not, I mean, yeah, I think there's certain levels that you can take this into mm-hmm. like how serious you are about yeah, you know, yeah. understanding it. And it's amazing to me how when you I've read the whole thing, like mm-hmm. I could, what were we doing? Reading 15 pages of, at a time. That's, yeah, that's what and I did. Yeah, yeah. And I'd put it down at the end of the night and say like, I don't know what I just read. I don't know what's yeah. going on. But then it's amazing to me, like later on when I was near the end of the book, I'd flip back to earlier pages from the beginning right. and I would say like, oh yeah, I remember reading this. I can yeah. recall reading this, these exact words. I would do my, it, they're in there, but I just had, I still, I have no idea what they mean. And it would be an interesting book to reread because very possibly it could make a little bit more sense yeah, the more probably. that you stick with it. So yeah, I would like to read it again. Not now not immediately but before i do that i would quite like to like read more about joyce and more about the book and then approach it again and be like oh okay yeah now i know what's going on i think it is a bit like ulysses really um you can come back and and reread it again and and get a lot more from it i I would expect that anyway definitely one thing that i really liked about it that i said before was the the way that he plays with words yeah. And there are some tiny parts of it where you read a paragraph and you just think like, oh, that's just really good. And it's like very delightful to read. Um, and it's not just plodding along like, Ugh, like this big yeah. long page that I don't understand with words. Can I read an example? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Of something I like. So this is from page 139. When I turn me optics from such urban prospects, tis my filial's bosom doth behold with pride that pontificator and circumvallator with his damn night garrulous slipped by his side and alive the lisperer twould grig mountains whisper her and the bergs of Iceland melt in waves of fire and her spoon me spondies and her durkle me on dinies make the rageous ocean kneel and quaff a liar. If Dan's Dane, Anne's dirty. If he's plain, she's purdy. If he's fain, she's flirty. With her auburn streams and her coy cajoleries and her dabbling drolleries, for to rouse his rudder up or to drench his dreams. If hot Hammurabi or cold Clisatis could espy her pranklings, they'd burst bounds again and renounce their ruins and denounce their doings for river and iver and a night. Amen. It's very cute. I think some it's of that great, it's, yeah. it's good because yeah. it, it's all, it makes no sense, but it's so it tickles you. Like when yeah. I read that, I just thought like, oh, that's really great. I don't really get it. I mean, you can you do know what it's about, I guess. Stuff like that. I really liked. Yeah, you, you get a feel for it, don't you? Without actually knowing what's going on. I think. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I like the bits where you think, well, that's a verb, even though it's not a verb that I know. And that's a noun, even though it's not a noun that I know. So there is that kind of playfulness in terms of language with it as well. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look, how you can tell the form of a word without knowing the meaning. Yeah. I really like that part about it yeah. a lot. And also I, I can't quite, I didn't do this all the time, but some words that he's thrown in there, they're real words and you know, the vocabulary is just really high level or very obscure stuff. And uh, some words, he's just completely made them up, made up a verb He's made up. Yeah, now. Yeah. So you don't actually know like it. And in trying to sort all that out would just take you ages. So for me, it was better just to, you just enjoy it the way that it is. And yeah, don't yeah. think too hard about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you do that, it doesn't become, a hard book to read in many ways because you're just like okay i'm just going to take in the language enjoy the language and and i'll take it from there and then it it's not that difficult to read i basically said if you set your standards very low and don't expect very much of yourself then mm -hmm. you know it's just you know treat it as it is and yeah. like you say like break it down so you're just reading a little bit a day it's it's not that hard it didn't take that long you know i think it, it's a book that could easily feel like a waste of time and I yes. think there were some times when we both thought, like, oh, why are we doing this? What's this for? Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe we were tired from work as well and just wanted to get to, like, Christmas break. But I think there was a point where we just thought, like, can we just get this book over with? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're Come not getting We could be reading something <laughs> that we actually understand. Yeah. But um, it was good, and I have no regrets. No, me neither. No, I'm so glad that I've, that I've read it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think I think in many ways he must have known that when he was writing it. He, he, I see it as, as a great kind of act of like contrariness. Really, the whole book of like, okay, um, you you read this if you can. You know, I'm not giving I'm not giving you this to enjoy. I'm giving you this to almost like laugh at you. Yeah, it's got it's a cool thing to do, and it took him quite a long time. Yeah, he's yeah. Very, dev very devoted to being contrary. It took him 13 years to Sounds write. fun. <laughs> <laughs> but he was fun yeah. at parties. I, b I bet he was. <laughs> yeah. Well, with this being said, you know, that little bit of discussion over, unless you have any more to add, would you like to get into the parts of the book? Yes. So, yeah. So we're going to go through the plot of the novel now now i am learning with the audience because <laughs> i haven't read this and yeah. um, this thing that you've created here and yeah like i said i didn't know what was happening the whole book yeah this is a surprise for me as much yeah, as you guys that's part of the experience of Finnegan's Wake. You know, you don't know the plot when you read it. I should yeah. say that I, I typed this up over Christmas and I thought I was going to do it and I, I went away for Christmas and <laughs> I didn't take the book with me because I was like, well, there's no point. I can, I'm just going to use, I am just going to use Wikipedia to write this because the actual novel itself is useless in, in terms of telling me what the, the plot is. Uh -huh. yeah. Would you like to start with part one? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So the book begins mid-sentence, as, as you just heard there, with the last sentence of the novel looping back round to form a cycle. So the, the book has no beginning and end. Um, but 
page one sets the scene as Howarth Castle and environs in the Dublin area. And the novel also in- introduces a Dublin hod carrier, Finnegan, who falls from a ladder to his death. His wife puts out his corpse as a meal for the mourners at his wake, but he vanishes before they can make a meal of him. The first chapter closes with a fight breaking out at the wake, some whiskey spilling on the corpse, Finnegan rising from the dead, crying out for whiskey, but the mourners returning him to rest. The chapter ends with HCE sailing into Dublin Bay. The second chapter begins with the tale of Harold or Humphrey receiving a nickname Earwicker from the Sailor King. This is initialized to HCE, which I believe is supposed to also stand for Here Comes Everybody, uh, which allows him to rise in Dublin society before being brought low by a rumour involving some kind of sexual congress with two girls in Phoenix Park. Details of this story alter as it's retold throughout the novel. Hmm. All right. I had no idea any of that happened. I knew that there's a guy called Finnegan and his... um, his wife puts out his corpse as a meal, but I was waiting the whole book yeah. for that to become apparent. And I just thought like, <laughs> oh, I must've missed it somewhere. And it was right at the beginning. That's <laughs> makes me really feel dumb. But I don't No, I don't think you're dumb. For not. You can't judge your, your dumbness or your intelligence of how much you understand. I know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, to continue. The next few chapters follow the rumor as it develops. They spread across Dublin until eventually being penned into a song, The Ballad of Percy O'Reilly, by a character called Hostie. HCE, here comes everybody, goes into hiding, which is besieged by an American looking for a drink after hours. HCE is brought to trial under the name Festikind. He is freed and goes back into hiding. One piece of evidence brought forward in the trial is a letter written about HCE by his wife, ALP. This becomes a central point in the story as it is examined. Had no idea. Nope. Nope. No clue. The letter was dictated to their son, Shem, Shem, and and given to their other child, Sean, who is a postman, to be delivered. The letter never reaches its destination, coming to a midden heap, mm. coming to a midden it, heap, which is I found it, by a hen named Biddy. Yeah, I think it is midden, I think. I'll just check. But I think that might be the word. Sorry, I don't know what a midden heap is. No, me neither. I just want to <laughs> check that I've got that right and it's not been like spell checked. Just bear with me. Yeah, midden heap. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, a, a midden is an old dump for domestic waste. Mm, okay. Bit of triv there. See, learning with the audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Live. Okay. So it's my turn to continue then. In the final two chapters of part one, we learn more about the letters writer, Shem the Penman, and its author, his mother, ALP. The Shem chapter consists of Sean's character assassination of his brother Shem, uh, describing the artist as a forger and a sham, before Shem is protected by his mother, ALP, who appears at the end to come and defend her son. Uh, The next chapter concerns ALP, Anna Livia Plurabelle, and was described by Joyce as a chattering dialogue across the river by two washerwomen who, as night falls, become a tree and a stone. They talk about ALP's response to the allegations made against HCE. The two washermen also talk about ALP's responses to the allegations 
And they talk about her youthful affairs and the publication of HCE's guilt in the morning newspaper. The conversation becomes more difficult as the Liffey widens and it darkens. Okay. On to part two. On to part two, yeah. So here the focus shifts onto the children, Shem, Sean, and Issy. Part two opens with a pantomime program, which denotes the identities of the book's principal characters. This was a fun chapter, I think, if I'm recalling it correctly. The chapter depicts a guessing game amongst the children in which Shem is challenged to guess the gay's work, the color which the girls have selected. He cannot do this because of poor eyesight and is exiled in disgrace, while Sean wins the girl's affection. HCE comes out of the pub and calls the children to come inside. Okay. Chapter two shows the children studying in the pub, while chapter three shows HCE working below the children in the pub. He serves the customers while two different narratives are broadcast via the radio and TV in the bar. One of these shows HCE as a Norwegian captain becoming domesticated, while the second shows him as a Russian general who is shot during the Crimean War. HCE has been upstairs with ALP during the second narrative, and on his return, he is despised by the customers who see the death of the general as symbolic of him being replaced by Shem and Sean. This compels HCE to confess to his crimes, which include an incestuous desire for young girls. A policeman arrives to force the customers to go home and the bar is closed. A sodden HCE cleans up the bar and this includes drinking up the remains of the glasses uh, that the customers have left behind. He then transforms into the Irish High King, Rory O'Connor, and passes out. Uh, so far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just read the next part as well. The final chapter of part two depicts Earwicker's dream of the spying of four old men, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, on Tristan and Iazolt's journey, offering linked commentaries on the lovers and themselves that are always repeating themselves. Mm-hmm. Did you get any sense of this at all when you were reading it? Really? No, no, no me neither. <laughs> nothing that I'm saying here, to be honest, apart from people's names. I remember that. Yeah. But no. So part three is about Sean's postman delivering the aforementioned letter. It opens with four masters. Ass. So four masters ass narrating how he believed. I think it might be ass. Like donkey. There was the first time I ever opened the book. I opened it to a dialogue and someone who was talking was called ass. I, <laughs> and I thought, like, what the, what is this? So it could be. It means donkey, not what you. I know. American people. I know. I know. All right. Four masters is ass narrating how he believed he was falling asleep and saw an apparition of Sean. Sean reawakens and is floating down the Liffey in a barrel. And he's posed 14 questions about the significance of the letter. Sean's answers are arrogant and condemn his brother Shem. After being questioned, Sean loses his balance and rolls out of view an earshot of the narrator. The ass narrator. Yep, that, that, yep, that one. Yeah. All right. In the next chapter, Sean reappears as Jaunty John, giving a long and sexual sermon to his sister Issy and 28 of her schoolmates from St. Bridget's School. Sean continually changes from an old man to an overgrown baby laying on his back and then to a vessel through which the voice of HCE speaks through a spiritual medium. This part ends in the bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Porter, 
who are attempting to engage in Congress while their children are sleeping. Jerry wakes up from a nightmare of a scary father figure. So Mrs. Porter interrupts what she and her husband are doing to comfort him. She goes back to bed, re-engages with her husband at the conclusion of which a rooster crows. Buddy, do you want to finish this? Yeah, I think you enjoyed reading that part. Okay. It was fun. More yeah. fun than I remember it being really <laughs> reading it. But Yeah, okay. And then part four, which is the last part of the book, comprises only one chapter which is a series of vignettes which don't appear to be connected surprise surprise as if anything as if this book <laughs> couldn't get any harder and then he just yeah. does that like <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna stick this in here for you so uh alp concludes the book with a version of her letter and the long monologue in which she attempts to wake her husband she recalls a long walk they once took and hopes to do this again at the end of the monologue alp as the river liffey disappears into the ocean and the sentence circles back to the start of the book yeah that's the end or is it the beginning Uh, the eternal question and that i think you said that you did the same thing when i finished the book the last Mm -hmm. page i just went straight back to the beginning to read the first page and see how it all connected and I, that is quite a good little trick. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it does match up. I can confirm. Yes. Yeah. As much as much as you can say that any parts of this book is connected to another part. Okay. And there it is. That's basically Finnegan's Wake. I didn't um, get any <laughs> sense of all of that. Oh, no, I'm just looking here now. It's the character's not called ass. He's called butt. So maybe that so, is the ass narrating, but he, um, James Joyce has called him butt. B-U-T-T. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So that's who butt is. <sighs> so it's not a donkey. It is what you thought. Maybe. How so his you... butt is talking. I think you know exactly what that means. There's um there's a William Burroughs. There's a part in, I think it's a naked lunch where a, a man's backside does learn to speak. <laughs> and it, I think that's it great. Gets, I think it gets teeth and like chews through his trousers and oh, starts no. talking to people. <laughs> that's disgusting. Uh yeah, yeah. Well, it's not the most disgusting thing that happens in that book, but um, yeah, it's one of the more famous parts. You know? Well, that's it. That's Finnegan's Wake, you guys. That's it. That was the story. So you don't have to read it now. Now you know what happened. Mm. Or, or you could just go to Wikipedia like we did. You don't even have to be listening to this. You know, knowing all of that stuff that happens and it does make me sort of want to go back and read it again mm. um, yeah. with that info in mind. Any particular thoughts on the story or... Any last thoughts about the book? Um, the thing that I do notice about the ending is that that's quite reminiscent to me of the ending of Ulysses, which is which is a long mm. monologue from uh, Molly Bloom in bed, thinking thinking back on her relationship with her husband and the affair that she's having and stuff. Mm. Uh, so that that's quite familiar. So I'm sure that that was on purpose, that he's kind of echoed the end of Ulysses in at the end of Finnegan's Way. Well. Or it's lazy, lazy writing. You really think this book no. is lazy writing? <laughs> I think it's very carefully constructed mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. one of its um, difficulties. Yeah. Do you feel that it goes too far, the novel, in the way that it's written? I mean, I think we certainly felt that way at some points during the book, yeah. didn't we? Like, oh, come, we get it. Yeah, yeah, we get it. We know what you're trying to do. Could you not have done this in like le- 200 fewer pages, maybe? Mm. Um, yeah. But no, having actually read it and everything, I don't think it does. I do think I, could it, could something like this be published today? 
I don't know. I mean, I think if you've written Ulysses, then uh, and Dubliners and Portrait of an Artist, I think you're probably at a point where you can get what you've written published because mm-hmm. there's enough call for it. Um, but I'm not sure if you wrote this as a book yourself and then just sent it off to Penguin. Yeah. (laughs) An editor would be like, "Hmm, I don't know. You sound like you're on crack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this wasn't um, a big commercial success, was it, this book? Uh, No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure how much of a commercially successful writer he was. No, because wasn't he kind of a poor writer? He didn't have that much money. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think that he had a sponsor, like Harriet Shaw Weaver, I believe was her name. And I think mm. he got money money from her to write. And his brother, uh, Stanislaus Joyce, mm-hmm. also was involved in like managing his affairs and stuff. But I think he had a fairly kind of chaotic life, like financially, I think. It was quite hand-to-mouth, I believe. I haven't really ever read any biographies of him. Um, but I'd like to do that. It just sounds like an interesting person. So I don't think it goes too far, this book. Um, I think, uh, like we said, despite how we didn't understand anything, we didn't Mm. know what was going on. The Mm. way he's gone about writing it is very confusing. And unless you're like a literature scholar, you're probably not taking it so seriously that you're really analyzing it or anything. Um, But it is so it is well done. And you do get the sense this isn't just some guy, some nutcase, just like cobbling stuff together and then being like, look, I wrote something. It's just yeah, you can tell that it's someone who's made this and it's like his life, like this is the work of your life, basically. And it's it is. Would I say genius? Maybe, to be honest. I think he was a genius. I have no doubt that he was a genius. Um, there's even a book a bit in the film that I mentioned before where the brother Stanislas is talking to Nora. I think the the book is set around just after they, they've left Ireland. And the brother says to her, Well, you know that James is a genius, obviously. And she looks like, really? Because she, she in it, she's not like interested in literature and stuff. That's the only bit really I, I remember of the film. Uh, uh-huh. It's like, well, obviously he's a genius. And I agree, I think he was a genius. Uh-huh. I just think that maybe once you've written Ulysses you can go one of two ways can't you you can just continue going even further down that road if that's what you're dedicated to or you can sort of row back a little bit maybe and I think knowing the little bit that I do about Joyce I think there was only one way he was going to go that's it is pretty cool paints a good picture of the the kind of character that he was I think mm. the, yeah 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 I mean, it's what he dedicated his working life to and um, I think you have to respect that, even if it doesn't always make the most uh, enjoyable of reads. <laughs> I could say <laughs> on, that again. On a winter's morning or evening. Yeah. All right. Should we do some random questions? Yes, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So would you rather be an old person or a baby for the day? So you have to be one of the two. If I'm an old person, do I get like the knowledge and wisdom of an old person too? Or is my, is it just my body? Uh, Yes. Yeah. You're an old person in every way. You, yeah, you have the knowledge and wisdom, but maybe you're not able to physically do all the things that you'd like to do. I don't know. I'd say probably I'd be an old, I'd rather be an old person. Mm -hmm. 
if it's just for one day. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you could handle being maybe a bit physically incapacitated yeah. for, for a day. But if you're an old person with the, the wisdom of experience mm-hmm. behind you, um, yeah. a lot of life lived and everything, that would be quite nice, especially if you could revert back to who you were and you continue to kind of keep that. Yeah. I don't really yeah. see what the point of going to be a baby for a day would be. Well, you just um, get looked after. <laughs> You know, you don't have to do anything. I'm yourself. sure that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> for just, I mean, who you don't, I don't see how you could get you just fly much that. out of that. But, yeah. So old person, definitely. I think. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? Yes. Go ahead. Very. You wrote this question here, but I'm curious. So um, which river would you like to turn into? Okay. You have a favorite river. I think it'd be I, nice. Yeah. I, I've lived in a few cities and it's, it's interesting that in some of them, like the river, uh, if it goes through the center is really made like a feature of the city. You really feel like it's an integral part of the city in, mm. in other places. It's just like a, it's there and you just have to get over it to the other side if, if that's where you want to go. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I would want to be one of the showy rivers in this, in a city where it's kind of a bit of a big deal. So maybe the Thames in London, where uh, it's a key part of like London life, you know, get songs written about it and poems and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or I quite like the Danube as well as it goes through Budapest. So one of those two, I think, you know, you get to see quite a lot of life and there and you're not just ignored. Yeah, that would be great. It's mm-hmm. a good answer. Do we do another question or do we just finish up? Well, do you have a silly dream that could make a novel? I had a dream once where um, you know when you die, you when you die in dreams, you normally wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a dream once where I died and didn't wake up, and I was <gasps> in a dream. Yeah, what I happened? Thinking, I was lying there, and I can't remember. I I was still lying there, kind of dead, but thinking, or I floated up above my body, and I was thinking, oh, okay, so I'm dead, and now I'm probably gonna go to hell, and then just laying there thinking about that and I can't remember if I woke up at that point or the ground cracked and I fell through the ground into the fiery pit but yeah that was that was quite scary you know that's something that would be in Finnegan's Wake yeah yeah interesting scary dream shall we go with the final quotes yes let's do that and I believe Uh, you've selected one I think what I might do, in fact, is just go to the end of the novel. And then because I read from the start before, then maybe one of us could read the last few paragraphs and, ah. and people can then see how it loops back around. Maybe you or me could read the end and then one of us can pick up directly from the beginning again to read that very first sentence from the beginning so that everyone can see how it connects. Sure. I think that's good. That's a good idea. Would you like to read it or should I? I'll read the end if you want to read the beginning. Yep. No problem. So here it is. A last quote from the final pages and the first pages. Finnegan's wake. I am passing out. Oh, bitter ending. I'll slip away before they're up. They'll never see nor know nor miss me. And it's old and old. It's sad and old. It's sad and weary. I go back to you, my cold father, my cold, mad father, my cold, mad, fiery father, till the near sight of the mere size of him, the moils and moils of it, moan, moan, moaning, 
makes me sea silt salt sick and I rush my only into your arms. I see them rising. Save me from those terrible prongs. Two more. One, two more men's more. So, ava level. My leaves have drifted from me. All, but one clings still. I'll bear it on me to remind me of. Lif. So soft this morning, ours. Yes. Carry me along, Taddy, like you done through this toy fair. If I'd seen him bearing down on me now under white spread wings, like he'd come from archangels, I sink, I die down over his feet, humbly dumbly, only to wash up. Yes, Tid, that's where. First, we pass through grass, be hush the bush to wish a goal, goals, far calls, coming far, end here, us then, Finn again, take, bus of thee, memor memory. Till thousands of thee, lisp, lips, the keys to, given, away, alone, alas, a loved, along the river run past Eve and Adams, from swerve of shore to bend of bay, brings us by commodious vicus of recirculation back to Howarth Castle and environs. Yay! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fun! And that's the sound of me closing Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> Me too. All done. Yeah. Thank you very much for agreeing to do that book with me. Thank you for suggesting it. I would have never read it otherwise. And it's always (laughs) nice to have a, um, a buddy when you've got a book like this. It's really hard. Yeah, sure. And would you like to do some more Joyce for next episode? Or are you, are you just up for maybe doing the Da Vinci Code or <laughs> something <laughs> Angels like and Demons? No, more Joyce would be great. Maybe something a little easier to start. Um, yeah, I think it's all easier than Finnegan's Wake, to be honest. Yeah, but maybe not Ulysses as the next. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, which you might yeah. not want to do again, but Portrait of the Artist as a young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be well up for that. Certainly. All right. Okay. It's settled then. All right. And on that note, we should bid everybody adieu, I think. Adieu. Um, this will be out after New Year's, probably. So we wish everybody Happy New Year. Yeah. Hope you make some good resolutions. Hope everyone's got some good books they're planning on reading in 2022. Yeah. Let us know what you're doing. You can do that at our email address, which is... How's the water podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and we'll, we'll check that out. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.